Maverick News presents The Rick Walker Show Defrag Your Mind And it's Trump in a landslide in Iowa and he's now in New Hampshire and he will be speaking in about a half an hour and we will do our best to pick up some of that speech tonight. And we'll fill you in on what his political rivals in the GOP are planning as we move ahead. We have other stuff to talk about tonight, too. Lots to talk about. The World Economic Forum underway in Davos. The 2024 edition, Rebuilding Trust. Uh, do you trust Klaus Schwab and family? I didn't think so. <laughs> oh, they have a vision of the future, integrating humans with digital technology. We'll fill you in, so don't go away. There's a whole lot of ground to cover tonight right here on the Maverick News Channel. Maverick News. Fighting for freedom. The New World Order. Government overreach. The Great Reset. Mainstream media lies. Now more than ever, independent voices are needed. Donate now at freedomreporters.com. That's freedomreporters.com. Maverick News. The Antivirus Program. For your mind. What a, what a, what a, what a, what a, what a, what a night it was for Trump. Heavy duty. Heavy duty. He, uh, he dominated. He's the dominator. The Donald, the Donaldator. And here are the results. Donald Trump, 51%. 56,260 votes. 20 delegates. Ron DeSantis came in second with 21.2%, 23,420 votes. Nikki Haley, 
21,085 votes. And Vivek, he pulled up the rear with just 8,449 votes and 7.7% of the total, gaining three delegates. But he's out. He is toast, at least for now. He uh, has withdrawn from the race. And it's probably a wise thing because he had been going after Trump in some less than trustworthy ways, prompting Trump to attack him right before the, the ballots were cast in Iowa. Trump called him deceitful, said he was working for the other side. So before it went further, after uh, everything went down last night and we heard Vivek asking voters, a voter in particular, saying, if you're, it's, they're never going to let Trump near the White House, you have to vote for me if you want to save Trump. <laughs> well, in the end, Trump came out, praised Vivek because Vivek withdrew, has withdrawn, says he is now fully endorsing Donald Trump. So now he's back in Donald Trump's good graces. Politics is strange that way. One day you're your enemies, the next day you're friends. And here's a statement from Vivek, Vivek, the written quote version of what he said in his address. I'll show you on screen. There we are. He says, the entire camp, this entire campaign is about speaking the truth. We did not achieve our goal tonight, and we need an America first patriot in the White House. The people spoke loud and clear about who they want. Tonight, I am suspending my campaign and endorsing Donald J. Trump and will do everything I can to make sure he is the next U.S. president. I am enormously proud of this team, this movement, and our country. And Donald, over here, if you look on the, uh, the other side, he says, thank you, Vivek, a great honor. So Trump welcoming the support, welcoming Vivek Ramaswamy and his, his supporters into the Trump MAGA team. And that will, I think, help solidify and unify the GOP. But it ain't over yet. No, the media is still trying to create something interesting out of a one-horse race, really. As I said last night, and this is really why I didn't pay a lot of additional attention to it, uh, it was a race for second place. It, the, the outcome was predetermined. Trump was going to dominate. He did, not unexpectedly. And the media is trying to make something interesting out of this. It's a little bit difficult because who cares who comes in second? Well, now the debates are falling apart. In fact, the next debate, it looks like it isn't going to happen because ABC has canceled the debate. Why? Because of this. Because Nikki Haley 
came out and said this. She isn't interested in debating Ron DeSantis. She wants Trump. Even though she came in third, she says, I don't need to worry about Ron DeSantis. I want Trump. I want to go after him. You said this morning there have been five debates in the Republican primary so far. And the next one you do will either be against Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Just to put a finer point on it, you're not going to do a debate here in New Hampshire unless Donald Trump is on the stage. I mean, that's who I'm running against. That's who I want. That's at the end of the day. He's the front runner. He's the one that I'm seven points away from. He's the one that we're fighting for. There is nobody else I need to debate. I have had five strong debates and have done plenty of them. He can't hide forever. At some point, he's got to get on a debate. Have you told ABC put out a statement saying that uh, they want you to tell them officially by five o'clock today? Have you already done that? They are very aware that I've said, is Donald Trump going to be on that stage? They don't need to be asking me. They need to be asking him. Mm -hmm. If he's on that stage, I'm there. Is that the right move? Absolutely. Look, absolutely. This is a one-on-one race. Donald Trump is chicken. He won't get on the stage. He's afraid to be called and, and, and ask questions. He doesn't want to engage with voters. He's assuming that it will all turn out fine. Now, when he realizes it's not turning out fine, that's why the attacks come. They'll throw anything they can at, at Nikki. But with her background and experience, she's tough as nails. Um, I'm sure if Donald Trump wanted to debate, Nikki would be there literally right now. And if he if he weren't so chicken, he'd get on the stage. Man up. <laughs> he doesn't need to. He's got the support. It's his to lose. He's so far out in front. Um He's playing it smart. He's just not participating. He's not going to get into a into a, a back and forth on stage where something might potentially go wrong. It's not stupid. It's smart. She might not like it, but he knows what he's doing. And I don't really blame him when you're up front like that. Ron DeSantis coming out and saying this. He was he was ready to go. He said he'd He'd go up there and debate two empty chairs. But not going to happen because ABC decided that would be boring. So no debate. She's really was relying on non-Republicans for her vote support. You can't rely on non-Republicans to win a Republican nomination, but especially against, against Donald Trump. How are you going to be able to compete in that situation? So what I showed is, yes, we obviously came in second, but amongst the broader Republican electorate, I, I was very viewed very favorably. I mean, like what we did in Iowa, we did make an impression of a lot of those folks. I had people come up to me saying, I love you, man. I'm going to do Trump this time and do you next time. Now, that's not what I wanted to hear. But but being there, we did make an impression. She's really was relying on. And he's kind of right about her relying on non-Republicans, because it's my understanding that um, some Democrats came in to. Um, participate and bolster her numbers and where was she being interviewed? CNN. CNN. She's a neocon. Make no mistake. Saber rattling, war loving, violence hankering, pro-bombing neocon. That's Nikki Haley. And I don't think she's going to be no running mate material for Donald Trump if he gets that far.
And I think he will. I think I said before, he, he's going to be the nominee. All this legal back and forth, all this uh, law affair, what, 50-some law suits against him, legal proceedings ongoing. It's all theater. I mean, I don't doubt that they want to take him out, but as long as he has the support of his MAGA base, it's going to be super-duper ultra-difficult for the establishment to deny him access to the ballot. Here's the situation in New Hampshire right at the moment. Live, we are monitoring this, and Trump should be taking to the stage in about, oh, well, less than 15 minutes now. So we are keeping close tabs on that for you. And we'll go live to New Hampshire to get his latest comments after this landslide victory in Iowa. Here is another look at what's going on with Vivek. Vivek Ramaswamy arrives in New Hampshire to campaign with Trump says it's time to end this GOP primary. He writes, just arrived in New Hampshire, joining Trump rally in a couple of hours, won't hold back. Time to end this GOP primary and secure victory in November. America first, always. I don't think they should end the primary, and I don't think they will, because it's in the best interests of the GOP and Trump to have it continue for a time because of all the media attention they will get from it. It's like free, free campaign time. So you will see these other challengers linger, even if they are thinking of pulling out. Not yet. It ain't over till it's over and it'll be over when i think probably when trump says it's over i think he has that much control over the party right now now should we get into this davos stuff before it's before trump speaks maybe but maybe first what we will do is just want to comment on what's going on in Israel, Gaza, and here at home. Well, no, I won't. No, I won't. I'm going to save this because it'll it'll mess up the flow of the stories. Uh, first up. Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum today. He, uh, he introduced Vladimir Zelensky to speak. So all that was going on. In addition to that, um, three of the top 
chief economists with the World Economic Forum also spoke today uh, on a panel and provided their vision of the future, their outlook for the new world order, if you will. In fact, the, uh, there was a survey done of the top 50 economists associated with the WEF. They filled out questionnaires. They gave their assessments of the world economy. And here's what the takeaways are from that. Uncertainty. As this forum has begun this week in Davos, Switzerland, under the title of Rebuilding Trust, what really underlies everything is uncertainty, as laid out in the report from these 50-plus top economists from the WEF. They are also focused on technology, digital technologies, like artificial intelligence. There's a lot of focus on that at this year's conference. Over half, 56% of those economists are predicting a weakening economy globally, especially in the West. The International Monetary Fund has also indicated that uh, through the WEF that there will be a decline in global growth over the coming year throughout 2024. With some strength in South Asia and the Pacific, economically, China, they believe, will actually uh, only see moderate growth at best in the coming year because they are dealing with some pretty serious financial challenges as well, especially related to their inflated real estate bubble, which has been created artificially through economic manipulation. And Europe, it's not looking good. Very, very weak growth, if any, predicted for Europe over the coming year. I think that's also why you're seeing these massive protests in Germany with farmers and in other countries as well, including Poland. And in the United States, slow growth predicted, if any, over the course of 2024, which will not be good for Joe Biden. Will not be good for him as he seeks re-election if he manages to limp into the next election as the candidate or, or stumble or fall downstairs into the next election. So that's where we're at with that. And here is a clip now with uh, chief economist Ludovic Subaru. Subarin, sorry, of the WEF. He's a French economist, and this is his assessment of where things are going for the new world order in 2024. 24 and why? Um, 2024 is, um, is a very, um, you know, um, 
complicated year because there are a lot of assumptions behind it. Um, everybody is actually looking already in 2025 and what happens after the U.S. election. Mm. So there, there is a flavor of muddle through and there is a flavor of successful soft landing both for the U.S. and for Europe. And so that is potentially not too bad for the world while China reignites with growth. So I'm, I'm a bit on the camp of actually we managing it. Uh, of course, risks are tilted to the downside. Normalization comes with a bit more insolvencies, a bit more unemployment, but it's okay-ish. Uh, but there are strong assumptions, for example, on fiscal policy. When you look at U.S. growth, when you look also at the odds of a soft landing in Europe, it boils down to fiscal policy. And so that, that's why it's a very difficult outlook because we have one engine of growth left, which is domestic. I mean, trade is slightly picking up again, but domestic growth is, you know, what's going to happen in housing. So that boils down to policy making, the policy mix with monetary policy and fiscal. But a lot is about how much are um, states ready to consolidate after having done whatever it takes for three years. Are they ready to let go of it and then go into full recession? We've seen a few countries. My, my country, Germany, has you know uh, experienced recession this year. Uh, it's one of the few big countries that ha has had this recession. So it's it's a bit of a, a leading indicator of what could happen uh, when you start to really go at the bare uh, engines of growth. So I'm a bit on the optimistic side for now, but I think the, the job has to be done. And of course, 60% of the world GDP is going to the polls. So vote well is the message. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and just to clarify, he is connected to Germany, but he also is listed as a a, a French economist because I believe he uh, he probably studied in France. I'm not really familiar with him, but his words are still relevant, and of course, he's one of the leading, most uh, most prominent economists associated with the World Economic Forum. And so there they are in Davos doing their thing. And we won't get into it yet because Trump is about to take to the stage, but you're going to want to stick around because I'll tell you what it's like there in Davos right now in Switzerland with these guys. It's sex, drugs, rock and roll, baby. Make no mistake about that. Yeah. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. It's party town. WEF style with Klaus Schwab. Don't go away. Greetings brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others. Out. Of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. 
We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow, maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. Fighting the Great Reset by leading the Great Great Resistance. Maverick News. The antivirus programs for your mind. So what do I mean when I say it's all sex, drugs, and rock and roll in Davos? Well, I mean that as these elites, the rich dudes, as they wing on over to Switzerland and get ready to uh, participate in the Davos Forum. They also make sure that they book their sex workers. Escort services are charging anywhere from $2,300 a night to $4,400 a night. I think the top rate last year was around $2,300. It has now increased to as much as $4,400, according to reports coming out of Davos. And they're booked solid. If you want an escort where prostitution is legal in Davos this week, you're out of luck because they are fully booked. Demand for escort services rockets during WEF summit at Davos. This is actually a story from a year ago. And it's exactly the same situation this year, except that now the prices have gone up. Supply and demand. Talk about the free market at work. <laughs> Baby. <laughs> wow. Wow. Just like the climate change summit. <laughs> when they went to Dubai. Why do they go to these places? Because they get to work and play. I'll tell you this too. The, um, this What's happening to our society right now is disheartening. And depressing. So as the sex workers are booked solid in Davos, the, the um, adult entertainers, adult performers, porn stars, 
in the United States are feuding over Israel, Hamas, Gaza. This is porn star Mia Khalifa, who is making a splash on social media because she has come out with such just spit and hate, I guess, toward Jewish people. And so it set off a firestorm on X, formerly known as Twitter. And here is, um, because of her anti-Semitic posts on social media, which have resulted in very polarized reactions, she was approached uh, in public at a, uh, I guess, some sort of a bus stop or Uber stop or whatever it is here, some sort of place where people get picked up for rides, <clears throat> rides. And um, this Jewish lady, Jewish mother, I guess, came up to uh, Mia Khalifa and had this little exchange. Yeah. You proud of I'm your mom? Israel I'm Israel Hyde. You see that? You waiting for the bus? Because I'm waiting for my valet. Well, she got real quiet now. Um, Israel Hyde. Get away from me. Your breath smells I'm awful. Israel oh my Hyde. God. You smell like knockoff falafel. Oh, man. The way people are treating each other now is just terrible. And you don't have to look far to see the division. Just look at the comments connected to that video. Here it says, watch a brave Jewish mother confront porn star Mia Khalifa for her anti-Semitism. Whoever you are, I admire you. And then you just scroll down one more. And it says here on the Palestinian, it says stinking of knockoff falafel has to be the most creative put down of the year. Bravo. So people applauding and insult and fighting. I think it's terrible. Absolutely terrible. I don't know what else to say. So Trump's still set to take the stage in New Hampshire. Any moment now, we've got my I've got one eye on that and one eye over here, and one ear over here, and the other ear over here. I'm on the left and the right. Trying to do right by you, and I'll be right back.
Maverick News. The world is watching. The New World Order. Government Overreach. The Great Reset. Mainstream Media Lies. Now more than ever, independent voices are needed. Donate now at freedomreporters.com. That's freedomreporters.com. Maverick News. The antivirus program for your mind. So we will be coming back to the World Economic Forum and the highlights uh, from the WEF summit today in a little while. But as we wait for Donald Trump to take to the stage, and we won't stick with that speech, you know, throughout, I don't think. We'll see what he says. But we'll bring you a little bit because I'm interested to hear what he has to say after his landslide victory in Iowa last night. But here in my hometown, there was a murder. Just uh, something of note. Not very much coming from police, though, in terms of information. We know that um, the victim is 55-year-old Henry Newdorf. They found a body on the side of the road last week out in Dover Township. So that would be about, oh, 20 minutes from where I sit, half an hour, I expect. And um, now they've arrested three people, a David Trailout, 34 years old, 52-year-old Kimberly Price, and 61-year-old Darren Noland, all charged with first-degree murder in my small town, Chatham, Kent, Ontario. Police aren't really giving any other information out about this because they say it's an ongoing sensitive investigation. So we have no idea what that is really all about or what went down. They're only saying that, uh, you know, for all the local viewers here that I have, uh, no, no concern for public safety. It seems that these people all knew each other. I can also tell you that, that we, we, we talked about the mall thing in my town. And I was saying, this is the kind of stuff that goes on in communities across the country that results in massive tax increases like we're seeing in Toronto, where taxpayers there could see property taxes go up somewhere between 10.5 and maybe 16%. This year, well, here in my town, property taxes are going up. But last night, as expected, our local council decided to go ahead and approve the purchase of a portion of the downtown mall. A great big giant white elephant. Just a few blocks from City Hall, they're going to buy this thing for, I guess, almost $3 million and move City Hall and the library into the old Sears portion of the mall. Then, they, then even though they have parking already over at the, the current Civic Center, now they're going to have to lease rent parking, pay for the parking over at the mall, which is pretty much, I'd say, 80, probably 90% vacant. Nothing in it. 
This is the kind of stuff that goes on in every town. Some rich guys bought that place. It's changed hands a few times. I think of four or five guys here, some of the richest guys in town own that thing. And now it's sitting empty. It's a white elephant. And you, you do, you do the, um, you, you do the political math on this and it's not too hard to figure out what's really going on. 11 to five counselors voted in favor of buying that blank hole as Donald Trump would say. I'll tell you right now, those counselors and the mayor who voted in favor of that. <laughs> you think you think that's not going to hurt you? You ain't seen. <laughs> it's coming. That's going to cost you. There's a buyback option. You better use it or it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you because the taxpayers are fed up. And not just with that, with a whole lot of things. It's disgusting. It ain't over. And it ain't over for Donald Trump either. I'll be right back. Is watching. We will be getting to Klaus Schwab at the WEF uh, summit and also Vladimir Zelensky as well. But first, here's U.S. economist Karen Harris with her projections for what is to come 
in 2024 for the world economy and the outlook for the new world order? 50% means we're convinced enough that if it happens, we can say, well, we said there was a pretty strong possibility last mm -hmm. year that that would happen. Um, so when I hear these split numbers, that's pretty much a confession, as, mm -hmm. as Ludovic was saying, is like, well, Wow, there's a there is a wide divergence of potential outcomes, and also, you know, economic models are in many respects built like thrumming a rubber band. They collapse back towards uh, towards last year in their in their construct. And so, when we think about this working with businesses, the questions we're asking are: What are the potential big disruptions? for next year and how resilient are we to those? Uh, we've heard a lot about, for example, the resilience of the US consumer. And I think in some respects that's overplayed, right? Consumption has outstripped income that America's very good at that, but even that, even we can't continue that in perpetuity. Uh, we, uh, there's, of course, the election is causing a lot of uncertainty, but underlying that, I think it, I, I am, I think that we can't be, we can actually be a little bit complacent about some of these cyclical risks in the U.S., given some of the long-term structurally positive factors that are happening, not just the early signs of labor productivity, but where we think that is heading, uh, the tax policy, uh, and of course the, IR, the IRA and other uh, investment policies that have basically been a great big fiscal stimulus. That's always helpful. It's part of why we had such a good year. And it's... While we think we're going to have a rather chaotic uh, year in the U.S., we remain, for businesses looking out over three, five years, uh, probably more optimistic than consensus. And on the European side, uh, less complacent about the near term or less concerned, but really worried about some of the structural challenges, demographics, and energy costs being among those that I think create a bigger headwind. And so, I, I, of course, we all want to know if there's a recession or not. I guess I, the last thing I'll say is when we talk about a soft landing, the di when we think about a recession, it's like a, an airplane going, you know, sort of going nose first. And a soft landing is the plane landing maybe without the wheels scraping along the runway. So it's not going to be a flawless economy under any circumstances. But uh, but you can hear from just those numbers that there's still a lot of uncertainty. And it's really about your conviction around the disruptions. And do they matter to your businesses and investments that, we, that we're focused on? Okay, so do you want me to translate that into layman's terms? <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. The plane might crash. It might not. <laughs> And that is the truth. They don't, they, they don't know. She doesn't know what's going to happen. That was a fancy way of saying that. Like it, could, it could be good. It could be bad. Plane might land. It might, uh, might crash. <laughs> she doesn't know. Oh, man, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't make me feel very confident. Okay, let me just check in here. Do we have Trumpster up yet? Not yet. Okay, so let's go to Klaus Schwab. Let's hear what he had to say. He uh, introduced Vladimir Zelensky uh, today in Davos. 
and that and it's these wars that's what's creating a lot of the uncertainty especially if we uh if they don't win if they lose the wars that would uh, create instability to be sure here's klaus oh hang on a second let me fix klaus for you klaus speak normally on the 24th of february 22 reminded us that we cannot have global prosperity without peace and security. N nearly two years since the war, Ukraine still stands still, still stands, its people stand and fight on a daily basis to protect the interdependence of the homeland. Thanks to your leadership, Mr. President, as well as the determination of every Ukrainian citizen, your country has remained incredibly resilient in response to the war. We are deeply grateful to you and the Ukrainian people for defending the values which are at the core of the international system and at the heart of liberal democracy. And that's what it comes down to. That's what it's about. It's about uh, this vision, this world global vision for a rules-based international order versus the other global view from the Axis nations, if you will, or the BRICS nations, Russia, India, China, South Africa, Brazil, more nationalistic in their worldview and their view of what they want for the future. The world is divided, very Orwellian, very 1984-ish, two sides, in my view, very similar in the end in the way they're operating anyway, but... Uh, opposed to each other, competitors, adversaries, and now, honestly, let's face it, at war through these proxy wars escalating into what could easily become a third world kinetic war, two different visions. And a lot of this is playing out in Ukraine, not only kinetically, but also philosophically, ideologically. It's this is what it's all about. Here's Zelensky today speaking in Davos, now introduced by the man himself, Klaus Schwab. Here we go, Vladimir Zelensky putting lipstick on a pig. We're seeing a lot of evidence this to suggest that Ukraine is about to, to buckle and fold and lose this war, looking for some off-ramp, some exit ramp, some way to, to bring this thing to a conclusion without losing the entire country. But Vladimir Zelensky still today trying to sound at least optimistic about where things are going. The lesson is clear. Everyone told Russia had missiles that couldn't be shot down. Patriots shoot down everything. 
and many feared the consequences if Ukraine gets long-range weapons. As a result, Russia just loses more. And we heard Russia would never allow a green corridor without its involvement. Nearly 16 million tons of cargo have been transported from our ports. And we can prove that Russia will reconcile with the complete loss of its Black Sea fleet, which terrorized commercial ships. And we must gain air superiority for Ukraine just, just as we have gained superiority at the Black Sea. We can do it, partners know what's needed and in what quantities. This will allow progress on the ground. Just two days ago, ladies and gentlemen, just two days ago, we proved Ukraine can even hit very valuable Russian military aircraft, which no one had shot down before. Many, many sanction steps were delayed for months, even, even years, because they have faced storms of threats from Moscow. But none of those threats came true. Each storm turned out to be their bluff. And how can one be satisfied with the sanctions against Russia or export controls if they don't even block its missile production? In every Russian missile, there are critical components from Western countries, dozens of components in every missile. And it's true, it's fact. And of course, I'm grateful for each package of sanctions. Thanks, partners, thank you. But bringing peace closer will be a reward for all those who care to ensure that sanctions work 100%. And by the way, it's a clear, it's a clear weakness of the West that Russia's nuclear industry is still not under global sanctions, even though Putin is the only, only terrorist in the world who took a nuclear power plant hostage. It must be a strong decision this year when frozen Russian assets, soaring and oligarchic will be directed towards defense against the Russian war and for reconstruction, reconstruction of Ukraine. Putin loves money above all. The more billions he and his oligarchs, friends and accomplices lose, the more likely he will regret starting this war. Putin must regret. We need him to lose. We need to finally dispel the notion that global unity is weaker than one man's hatred. And we can do it. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, this year must be must be decisive. Can freezing the war in Ukraine be its end? I don't want to settle for the truism that any frozen conflict will eventually reignite. And I remind you that after after 2014, there were attempts to freeze the war in Donbass. There were very, very influential guarantors of those, of those, by, by the way, of those protests that then Chancellor of Germany and the presidents of France, but Putin 
Putin is a predator who is not satisfied with the frozen products. And we have to defend ourselves, our children, our houses, our lives. And we, we have to do it and we can beat him on the ground. We have proved it and at sea and in the skies. And we ramp up production of weapons. We achieved economic growth in Ukraine. Our GDP is moving up despite the war, plus more than 5% last year. And we got the decision on EU accession negotiations. And we are normalizing the idea that the aggression can be defeated, even Putin's aggressions, which have been ongoing for 10 years and more. And now we, we can say, don't escalate to all who doubt, to all who want to reduce support. And in this, in this warning, we will be absolutely correct, because every reduction in pressure on the aggressor adds years, adds years to the war. But every investment in the confidence of the defender shortens the war. We must make it possible to answer the most important question. The, the war will end with a just and stable peace. And I want... Okay. And we'll pull out of this, and we're going now live to Donald Trump in New Hampshire. Here we are. American patriots, which is what you are. As you know, last night we had a record-setting evening in Iowa. What a great place that is, too. The largest margin of victory in GOP history. Is that good? Is that good? And the previous record, as you know, was 12 points, and we beat it by more than 30 points. So that was really something. That's a long year. That's a lot of years. So we were honored by it. They're really great people also. The whole country is great, frankly. And they want to see change. They want to change. Because right now, our country is not doing too well. We're laughed at all over the world. This is not going to happen for long, but I do worry. I do worry about 10 more months with these people because they can do a lot of damage. What they're doing to our country is very sad. We were the first candidate ever to get more than 52% of the vote. We now uh, have our eyes on a very special place. You know what that place is? New Hampshire. <laughs> And I know that New Hampshire will never let us down, just like in 2016. You remember that? We came in here and we won in a landslide, 2016. It's time for the Republican Party, however, to unify, come together, and move forward as one team. We have to beat Crooked Joe. Come on, Internet. Getting some freezing going on. And it is a cold night here. There's another cold weather warning in, in effect. Let me just take this out and see if I can. Uh, I don't think it's on our end. I think it's the feed. Let me bring it back up here. Hang on. Come on, Donald. 
Yeah, there's something going on with their feed. I've got him. I've got him. Come on. Here we go. And we won in a landslide. 26 to it's time for the Republican Party, however, to unify, come together, and move forward as one team. We have to beat Crooked Joe. Not good. Come on. Ridiculous. And we won in a landslide. 26 to it's time for the Republican Party, however, to unify, come together, and move forward as one team. We have to beat Crooked Joe. It's freezing up right there. That's strange. Repeating and freezing and repeating and freezing. Let me see if I can get you to come in again, Donald. Nope. Such is uh, the situation with feed tonight out of New Hampshire. Not looking good. Not looking good there. Well, okay. If that's the way the internet's going to be. We got we got him live there right off the top. But they've lost their feed. They've lost their feed. So let's uh, take a little break here. Well, we wrestle with the internet and I'll be right back. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming some media In an ocean of lies a century deep, the truth awaits. Choose not the red pill. Choose not the blue pill. For both are an illusion. Discover the power of M. The power of individuality. We are mavericks. We are the way to the light. Fear not the storm. Join our quest for truth. Truth will set you free. Maverick News. The world is watching. All right. Let's go back. Bad feed here, but here's Vivek. And I there. said this as the kid. Is your first act of entering this country cannot break the law and that is why we need to use our military to secure our own southern border in this country that's what it means to stand for the rule of law in the united states of america it means the people we elect to run the government needs to be the ones who actually run the government not the shadow government in the deep state that runs the show today this this man is going to get in there this time around and actually shut down that deep state. Not messing around more. That's how we win this war in this country. And the way we're actually going to do this in the long run and win this this time around 
is with elections we need to secure in this country for the long run. You want to know what needs to happen in this country? Single day voting on election day as a national holiday with paper ballots, government issued ID to match the voter file and English as the sole language that appears on a ballot. And I'm confident this man will be the one to get us there. And this is how we get our country back. Not black or white. It's deeper than that. These are the ideals of the American Revolution. And you know what? We do have some enemies that we need to defeat on the other side, but we have challenges to address in our own party right here at home. So you know what? If you want somebody who's going to foist onto you to use your social media account, you want to use a driver's license to do it, have the right to use the Internet, this man's not your man. There's another candidate in this race who will do that for you. It's Nikki Haley. You want to send, you want to cut Social Security, you want to cut Medicare, you want to cut veterans benefits so we can fork over more money to Ukraine so some kleptocrat can buy a bigger house? Vote for Nikki Haley, not this man right here. But if you want to actually put an agenda that puts Americans first, to say that the moral obligation... And lots of freezing. They don't have a good feed out of there tonight. Let me just see if we can free it up, unfreeze it. Come on. Unfreeze, unfreeze. Nope, they're losing the feed. Let me take it back here. And we'll try it here. Nope. Not looking good for the feed. Okay, a little break again. I'll see if I can find an alternative feed so that we can just get a little bit more of that uh, coming together GOP unity. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow. Maybe too late. Too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. time around and actually shut down that deep state not messing around this time anymore that's how we win this war in this country and the way we're actually going to do this in the long run and win this this time around is with elections we need to secure in this country for the long run 
You want to know what needs to happen in this country? Single day voting on Election Day as a national holiday with paper ballots, government issued ID to match the voter file and English as the sole language that appears on a ballot. And I'm confident this man will be the one to get us there. And this is how we get our country back. Not black or white. It's deeper than that. These are the ideals of the American Revolution. And you know what? We do have some enemies that we need to defeat on the other side, but we have challenges to address in our own party right here at home. So you know what? If you want somebody who's going to foist onto you to use your social media account, you want to use a driver's license to do it, to have the right to use the Internet, this man's not your man. There's another candidate in this race who'll do that for you. It's Nikki Haley. You want to send, you want to cut Social Security, you want to cut Medicare, you want to cut veterans benefits so we can fork over more money to Ukraine so some kleptocrat can buy a bigger house? Vote for Nikki Haley, not this man right here. But if you want to actually put an agenda that puts Americans first, to say that the moral obligation of your leaders is to the citizens of this country, not another one, there is not a better choice left in this race than this man right here. And that is why I am asking you to do the right thing as New Hampshire and to vote for Donald J. Trump as your next president, because we're not working with a lot of time here. If our kids are in high school before we get this right, we don't have a country left. That's what it means. We've been celebrating our diversity and our differences for so long that we forgot all of the ways that we are the same as Americans, bound by that common set of ideals that set this country into motion. We believe those ideals still exist. This man is going to be your next president to revive them. E pluribus unum, from many, one. And you know how we're doing it? We're doing it by speaking the truth at every step of the way. There are two genders in this country. Period. That is the truth. Fossil fuels are a requirement for human prosperity. Drill, frack, burn coal, embrace nuclear energy. Reverse racism is racism. An open border is not a border. Parents determine the education of their children. The nuclear family is the greatest form of governance known to mankind. Capitalism lifts us up from poverty. There are three branches of government in the United States, not four. And the U.S. Constitution is the strongest and greatest guarantor of freedom in human history. That is the truth. We fight for the truth. We stand up for the truth. That is what won us the American Revolution. That is what reunited us after the Civil War. That is what won us two world wars and the Cold War. That is what still gives hope to the free world. And if we can revive that dream over group identity and victimhood and grievance, then nobody in the world, not a nation, not a corporation, not a virus, not China is going to defeat us. That is what American exceptionalism is all about. That is what we are going to revive to, yes, make America great again. Vote for this man right here in the New Hampshire primary. God bless you and your families. And may God bless our United States of America. Thank you, New Hampshire. It's good to see you guys. 
We're coming back and winning this in a landslide. We will not stop until we get this job done. Thank you all. God bless you and your families. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, that's how was that? Pretty good, right? That was pretty good. And he's a fantastic guy. And he's really, uh, he's got something that's uh, very special because he started off with a Zippo and he's got, he ended up very strong. He did a great job. I was actually surprised when he called because he was doing well. And uh, it's an honor to have his endorsement. He's going to be working with us and he'll be working with us for a long time. Thank you. And now for sort of the opposite, in my opinion, uh, as you know, Nikki Haley in particular is counting on the Democrats and liberals to infiltrate your Republican primary. You know that the lep- that's what's happening. You have a group of people coming in that are not Republicans and uh, it's artificially boosting her numbers here, although we're still leading her by a lot. You know, uh, as you know, I watched her speech last night. I thought it was inappropriate. But because it's bad for unity, it's bad for the party, what she said. But you'd almost think she won. She came in third and she lost to not a particularly great candidate, obviously, as you've seen. She lost to somebody that uh, beat her by about two and a half points, Rhonda Sanctimonious. So so, uh, I'll tell you, we have these two people. We really got to get back on to Biden and beating the Democrats and not wasting a lot of time with these two. Uh, They're supported for... They're supported by some people that you don't want to have support. And the reason they're doing it, and I'll, I will tell you, uh, so we had a very interesting thing. We were making the speech last night. It was called the victory speech. Yeah, please sit down. And everybody can see back there. That's a big crowd. This is a nice crowd of people. We're driving in the snow. You can't see three front. And, I mean, how you all got here. I said, will people show up? But they always show up, right? Because they, they love their country. But we were talking about her show and how corrupt the press is. And last night, it was amazing. NBC and CNN refused to air my victory speech. Think of it. Because they are crooked, they're dishonest, and frankly, they should have their licenses or whatever they have taken away. They put on they put on Nikki Haley. She came in third, a distant third, like I mean a distant third. And they put on Ron DeSanctimonious, who came in a boring second. Now, he we don't talk about him too much because over here he's polling at four percent. So we'll save him where he seems to go up. But we haven't found that place yet. He's gone down a lot. Uh, She's not doing particularly well, but she had one phony poll. She walks around with a poll saying she's up in Biden by 17. That poll is about uh, three months old and it's a fake poll. And from every other poll, she's just about down in every election. We're up every single poll for the last two months against crooked Joe Biden. But people behind Nikki Haley are pro-amnesty, they're pro-China, they're pro-open borders. These are the people that are backing her. They're pro-war. We don't want war. We got out of all the wars. We beat the hell out of ISIS. They're pro-Biden, frankly. And if she wins, Biden wins. And if Biden wins, New Hampshire cannot win. You're going to lose. And uh, bad things happen. We had the greatest country in the history 
in history. In our history, three years ago, we had the best borders. We had the best economy. We had no inflation. We rebuilt our military. We gave you the biggest tax cuts in history, the biggest regulation cuts in history. Nobody's done what we've done. And especially, frankly, for this state, if you want a nominee who is endorsed by all the rhinos, globalists and demented, never Trumpers and never Trumpers, they're a dying breed, I will say, like a guy like Rhino Paul Ryan. He was so bad for his liberal Larry Hogan. That's another beauty. Open borders, Rhino Charles Koch. Charles Koch, he spends a lot of his inherited money on elections, but not so much. But he has been giving uh, Nikki a lot. He wants open borders. He's pro-China. He's not pro-U.S. And crooked Joe Biden's biggest donors, then Nikki Haley is your candidate. If you want that, we need strong borders. We need free and fair elections. And if you don't have those two things, and I'd love to add in, we need an honest media because we don't have an honest media. The Democrats are supporting her because she's easy to beat. You know, the Democrats are funding most of her campaign and they're doing it because they want to run against. They don't want any more of Trump. How did they do in 2016? And then we did even better in 2020. A lot better. A lot better. Millions and millions of more votes. They don't want us. Okay, so. We will pull out of that for now. And we will move on by going back to the World Economic Forum. This is the head of the European Union, Ursula von der Leyen, saying the biggest threat in the world today is misinformation and disinformation. Tying into what Donald Trump was saying about some of the major networks in the U.S. refusing to run his speech on air last night. <laughs> Apparently, this is the, according to Ursula, this is the biggest threat facing the world today. Her speaking in Davos, Switzerland today. And here's, here's Ursula. For the global business community, the top concern for the next two years is not conflict or climate. It is disinformation and misinformation, followed closely by polarization within our societies. These risks are serious because they limit our ability to tackle the big global challenges we are facing. Changes in our climate and our geopolitical climate, shifts in our demography and in our technology, spiraling regional conflicts and intensified geopolitical competition and their impacts on supply chains. The sobering reality is that we are once again competing more intensely across countries than we have in several decades. And this makes the theme of this year's Davos meeting even more relevant, rebuilding trust. This is not a time for conflicts or polarization. This is a time to build trust 
This is a time to drive global collaboration more than ever before. This requires immediate and structural responses to match the size of the global challenges. I believe it can be done. <laughs> Translation, she wants censorship so that only their message is delivered and is delivered in an effective way so they can market their new world order. I'll be right back. Feel the vibrations. Our quest continues. The truth is out there. We are Mavericks. I'm back. Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, also in Davos today engaging in conversation with Klaus Schwab directly in front of the audience, the delegates. Now, this is where things get really interesting. In this conversation, he talks about not just the economy, but the convergence of digital technology and human beings, artificial intelligence and human beings. And how that plays into the future economy under the new world order. Here he is. Era we are definitely in, and uh, and I think twenty four will probably be the year where all of this will scale. Yeah, Satya, I have to confess. Um, some of the introductions of people uh, which I had to write, I wrote with <laughs> ChatGPT. Uh, uh, but don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. No, um, there's, there's a lot of discussion about AI during this meeting, and we talk about impact. We may later talk about productivity, particularly in the context of the economy. But um, what is overlooked in this discussion? Do you feel we talk about impact on skills and so on? What what is overlooked in your opinion? I mean, not, it's not overlooked, but I think what is um, salient, I think, is uh, obviously I talked a lot about what it's going to do to horizontal knowledge work and frontline work, but I think it's about what AI will do to science, uh, perhaps is the most interesting thing uh, to me, because um, take... Uh, in fact, just last week, um, we announced something which, you know, I had not, you know, I, I sort of felt like, yeah, this is something that can be done, but I had not understood that this can be done. 
Um, so we took one of our models called Matagen, which is a sort of a generative model to generate new molecules and material. Um, and we put it through an entire round trip where we came up with new molecules for a new material, went to work with in collaboration with one of the national labs in the United States, the Pacific Northwest National Lab, um, and figured out how to produce a new battery that's got 70% less lithium. Uh, right, that's just phenomenal to sort of, th when we think about uh, the, you know, the climate, uh, the energy transition, it's about taking 250 years of chemistry and somehow bringing it down to 25 years, right? So this is a proof point of that. Same thing is happening in biology. I see Jim in the front row here, you know, if I think about what we're doing even with PAGE and what we can do with cancer detection, uh, or what we're doing with Broad uh, in, uh, you know, again, in molecular, in, in biology, and to be able to use AI to sim simulate uh, the molecular behavior. Uh, so I think that science is probably the place where we will start seeing real acceleration. So up to now, the digitization revolution has brought new tools to science, but has not fundamentally accelerated science. But if we can fundamentally accelerate science, the you know, cures to diseases, the energy transition, uh, fundamental new material uh, science, all of these I think are going to be pretty, pretty profound. Now, everybody talks about AI, but actually there are many other technologies in the fourth industrial revolution. And I think it's particularly the combination of AI, AI with some of those technologies what other technologies create uh, this progress for society, in your opinion? On the technology front, I'm always sort of, you know, anchoring back to three things, right? One is um, when it comes to the core compute infrastructure, we just need more of it. Uh, so we have the von Neumann machine that still rules the world. Uh, and the question is, can we birth the new quantum revolution? So I'm always excited about quantum. In fact, some of what we're seeing is AI as the emulation layer for what is going to be the simulation layer, which is quantum, right? So if I think about uh, these two things, that's very powerful. So quantum is one, AI, of course. The other one is, you know, mixed reality presence. I'm very interested in you know, when I think about embodied AI is the other way to think about it, right? Which is whether it's sensors on us, which is sort of a little more of the devices like VR, AR, mixed reality, or, you know, humanoid robots uh, is another one, or, you know, or, or automobiles that are autonomous. So I think of these three things uh, as perhaps where compute AI and uh, fundamentally autonomous and mixed reality devices are all going to come together to create, I think, the platforms of innovation. Would you agree when we look back in history? And mm. So they are looking at convergence, transhumanism, As I've said, I, I don't think we need to be afraid of technology, but I think we need to be afraid of how some people might use technology. So we'll see where it goes, folks. Arm yourselves with knowledge and be prepared for the future because it's coming, whether we like it or not. Out in Calgary today, disturbing story. 
there was uh, a woman was killed in front of a school in the city of Calgary. It's at an elementary school. Again, police not releasing many details on this at all. It happened at 7.30 a.m. Calgary time at John Costello Catholic School. Investigators are indicating this appears to be some sort of a domestic dispute that escalated and wound up like this. So we don't really have names or much in the way of information, but horrific, tragic. We'll keep our eyes on it. And again, tonight in many parts of Canada, severe weather, cold weather warnings in effect. We're seeing as well out in Alberta, that oil-rich province, where they have been issuing warnings about the cold and warnings about the electrical grid and instability in it, asking people through these provincial government statements, asking people to conserve energy at peak times. They can't produce enough energy in the grid to meet the demand and we've also been seeing that electric vehicles are not charging properly. In fact, some of the charging stations have actually shut down. They've been inoperable because the temperatures have dropped so low. And they're looking for a way to work around that out in Alberta. So the whole electric car, electric vehicle, Vision is getting blurrier by the minute and blurrier with each degree that the temperature drops out in Western Canada. A shock to the system, a dose, a very cold dose of reality.
Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay, so we also see that the president of the World Economic Forum today says that we are on the way to a new world order. He was in discussion with uh, Jake Sullivan. I have a clip here. But as the president of uh, the WEF talked about this new world order, it was um, interesting to see that Jake Sullivan, national security advisor for the United States, he uh, didn't entirely agree with that vision. A little bit different, but not entirely opposed here's uh here's the exchange just listen to this it's uh interesting maybe just a difference in choice of words maybe they both they're still both working toward the same thing but an interesting exchange nonetheless that order seems to know no uh not be uh the order anymore we are on the way to a new order so we are between orders uh, do you agree with that or are there ways of uh, what are we able to keep on the positive side from the old order to bring into a new world order and how can we avoid that that new world order uh, becomes like a jungle growing back and we rather uh, have an order based on international what law the hell and, is uh, he saying principles that have brought us prosperity <laughs> and uh, freedom uh, for decades. <laughs> I guess and maybe this is the the old um, kind of teacher in me coming out. I think of this a little bit more about a transition of eras rather than a transition of orders, but the two are kind of cousins of one another. The reason I draw the distinction is because I don't think the international order built after 1945 is getting replaced wholesale with some new order. Um, it will obviously evolve as it, as it has evolved multiple times over the decades since 1945. But I do think in a, in a more sharp and distinctive way, we are moving into a new era. And that's what I talked about in my remarks, that we are, you know, the post-Cold War era has come to a close. We're at the start of something new. We have the capacity to shape what that looks like. And at the heart of it will be many of the core principles and core institutions of the existing order adapted uh, for the challenges that we face today. My question is, can I get a side order of fries to go with my new world order? <laughs> I don't, that just seemed to go around and around in circles. I don't know if they were really saying anything that was coherent or not um, on the Canadian front out in Alberta, that oil-rich province where everyone is about to freeze in the dark because the former NDP government shut down all the coal-fired electricity plants. The former premier responsible for that, Rachel Notley, she had an announcement today. She is stepping down as leader of the Socialist New Democratic Party in Alberta. And uh, <laughs> here's her statement excited that uh, you've come out all, nonetheless to hear me talk about my 
nine-point plan to have you all visit albertasfuture.ca. Okay, fair to say that uh, there is also another issue that uh, I'd like to address through all of you to Albertans today. There's been a great deal of speculation since the election as to my future. While politics to the south of us would suggest I have at least 20 years left in my political career, I think the advisability of that's probably a bit debatable. More to the point, having considered what I believe to be the best interests of our party, our caucus, as well as my own preferences, I'm here today to announce that I will not be leading Alberta's NDP into the next election. I have informed both the senior officers of Alberta's NDP as well as my caucus and staff that upon the selection of a new leader, I will be stepping down from that role. This October will be 10 years since I was first given the honor of leading our party. At the time, we were the fourth party in the legislature with a massive caucus consisting of four MLAs. Less than seven months later, we had a caucus of 54 MLAs and Alberta's first NDP government. While many of those folks, and indeed myself included, never expected uh, to, uh, to be uh, elected, let alone finding themselves in a government cabinet, we all scrambled quickly to live up to the immense privilege and responsibility the people of Alberta bestowed upon us. Now, we didn't get everything right. That's for sure. But we governed with integrity, an ambitious agenda, and an earnest desire to make life better for Albertans. Except when it's minus 50 Celsius. Super deep policy rabbit hole. I will highlight just a few of the things that make me proud about my time. No, that's okay. It's fine. We know. Baby, it's cold outside. It sure is. It's a frosty one again tonight. <laughs> oh, Rachel Notley. And she says she is not interested, says she's not interested in running for the NDP federally. We shall see. I don't know. My guess is she'll surface again someplace. But for now, she's stepping aside as leader of the NDP in Alberta. We'll see who comes in to replace her. And Danielle Smith of the United Conservative Party out there sure has her work cut out for her trying to deal with this energy crunch. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? And, uh, you know, the other thing tonight is... Uh, Donald Trump, did you know that he polls better in Canada? He's more popular with voters in Canada than Justin Trudeau right now. It's a true thing. It's true. Donald Trump now more popular in Canada. And that is not, that has not always been the case. In fact, when Donald Trump was first elected, I think that he was not really that popular in Canada. Certainly on the conservative side, he, he had a lot of support from Canada, Canadians, but it has grown. 
over the past year, and now he is more popular than JT. Mr. Fancy Socks. Um, and Trudeau, after the Iowa win for Trump, is now saying that Americans, U.S. voters, face a choice between optimism or retreat. Now, he was speaking at um, an economic summit, a Chamber of Commerce event in Montreal. His, everything he said, as far as I can see, was in French. So I won't run you the clip, but the translation came back as today. He says that um, if there is a second Donald Trump presidency, it won't be easy. He says that um, in November, Americans will face a choice between optimism for the future, in his words, or nostalgia, get this, for a past that never existed. Are you getting that? He says a past that never existed. He says, do they want to be a nation that is optimistic and committed to the future, or will they choose a step backwards, nostalgia for a time that never existed, a populism that reflects a lot of the anxiety and fury that people are going through without necessarily offering solutions. That really made me think today when I heard him say that, a past that never existed. I would put it to you that the past that he says didn't exist, indeed did. It's just that neoliberal woke politicians like Trudeau choose to ignore that past or deny it as they rewrite our history and deny Canadians and Americans their true history and their heritage. That's really what is going on there. The past that never existed. In other words, if you really, really analyze what that means, what he is saying is the history you were taught is false. Again, plunging us into a new world order, an Orwellian existence, where those in power today control not only the history of the past because they rewrite it, but also where we're going in the future. And that is what has been going on, tearing down the statues, embracing identity politics, rewriting history, teaching our children this new neoliberal rev revisionist history, which is anti-colonialist, anti-capitalism, anti-American, anti-Canadian, pro-socialism. And I will take it a step further. I would say anti-Zionist because even though Trudeau is coming out and saying that Canada will not support South Africa's 
attempt to have Israel held to account for what it says is genocide being committed in Gaza. Trudeau has been playing and continues to play both sides off against each other politically. And he's found himself in a very difficult position now because he's aligned himself with both sides and he's trying to walk that tightrope as more and more immigrants pour into the country and there's increasing pressure from the Palestinian side, the Arab side, the anti-Israeli side, the anti-Zionist side to have him pull away from Israel and pull away from that support, which is what I would say these Axis nations really want is they want to, they need to, they, they are trying to, to have support for Israel, financial and military support for Israel discontinued, cut it off. You cut off the support, you cut off the funding. Israel becomes vulnerable and it will cease to exist without support from the West. That's what they're working toward. And this rhetoric, the anti-colonialism, which is the same phrasing that you're hearing you what, what i'm getting at is this, this is exactly the same political ideology exactly the same words being used in gaza as are being used by the people on the political left in north america when they're using words like occupier and anti-colonial and colonialism it's the same rhetoric. It's the same political ideology because they're, and they're applying it to the people of Israel. They're just occupiers. They have no legitimacy. They are not allowed to be there. You listen to the way that those words are being used here too. We are occupiers. Any European settlers who are here, any descendants of European settlers, you are just occupiers. Those people are just occupiers. I would be an occupier. I'm a colonialist. I'm the product of colonialism. People who have emigrated, immigrated to this country. The land belongs to the indigenous people. That all plays into the United Nations Declaration of Rights for Indigenous Peoples. And that doesn't play out just in Canada, but it does globally around the world. The UNDRIP, that document comes into play everywhere, including in Gaza. I'm not sure how exactly they would apply it there or how it might be applied, but you may see that UNDRIP actually is used in some manner. It's just that the history there goes back so far for both sides and the history there remains in dispute. But here in North America, not so much in dispute through UNDRIP. And it's that same identity politics, the same cultural Marxism. It's that um, geo, it's that, it's the neoliberal anti-capitalist socialist rhetoric coming to coming to bear 
and we've seen it used over and over again. Occupier, colonialism. Beware. I'm just letting you know. And then the term Zionism is fluid. It's malleable. It means different things to different people. It's an interchangeable word now. They like to play word games on the left. And Zionism is a word they have been throwing around using pretty loosely. In reality, what's going on is that is a word to replace the word Jew. As this rhetoric is wrapped up and the narrative is spun up using these old tropes from the past, in particular, the uh, protocols of the elders of Zion, using just replacing certain keywords over time, soft peddling it to people, reselling the old message and now spinning it back up and now just kind of taking the masks off and exposing it for what it really is, which is the same old story over and over again, applied in a new way to this anti-colonialist, anti-occupier political movement. And so who is a Zionist? What is a Zionist? A Zionist can be whatever they decide a Zionist is now. It's Jews plus anybody else who supports them. It's Jews plus anybody who might be an occupier. It's, a, it's Jews plus anyone who is a colonialist or the product of colonialism. And that's why a lot of these protests in the streets are attracting people who you wouldn't think would want to be there, but they're con very confused. They don't realize when, you know, you have gays for Palestine marching in the streets. They don't seem to understand that they're not really welcome. They'll take the support while it's there, while it's needed, while it's convenient. But you might not want to go to Gaza. Where do some of these Islamic countries, if you're gay, you might not get a very warm reception. More than that, I'm just telling you that if you have people walking around talking about occupiers and colonialism, and you're like myself, if you like other people of European descent, and you live here in North America, I got news for you. As far as a lot of those people are concerned, those folks throwing those kinds of words around in very loose ways, you know who the Zionist is? As you're sitting there saying that, you know, as you're chanting from the river to the sea with the people in the crowd or uh, <laughs> saying that you're, you're, you're supportive because it's just a big land grab over there. You know who the Zionist is? It's you. You just don't realize it. Just letting you know. Got to dig a little deeper. Because after the chanting, you know, the, that, that, that chant, you know, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. It's got a good rhythm and you can dance to it. But at the end of the day, man, uh, you just peel the layers off and look underneath and see what it really means. You might not, you might find that it's not that palatable.
Maverick News. The world is watching. Oh boy. Healthcare. <laughs> Canada. According to the health minister, the federal health minister tonight, Canada, he says, will take all necessary measures to protect its drug supply from the United States. Mark Holland told U.S. officials that Canada is disappointed with the Food and Drug Administration in the United States to allow the import of some Canadian prescription drugs. And he says Canada will take all necessary measures to protect its drug supply. He says he's going, he's assuring Canadians that they will continue to have access to medications they need when they need them. Canada has strong regulations, he says, in place to protect supply. So this is about a week now after the FDA decision uh, came along to approve drug, imp drug import plan, which the state of Florida under Ron DeSantis wants to implement. And that's because they can actually import a lot of these drugs from Canada at much lower cost than it than they would have to pay if they were buying them directly from U.S. sources. And this is because of Canadian government policies that have some regulatory impact on the pricing of prescription medications here in Canada. So the Canadian federal government, well, calling the health minister is like, this could, you know, this undermine our supply. So I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, my, my take on this is I wish we had more of a free market when it came to health care. And if they would take the shackles off industry in general, including the pharmaceutical industry where these drugs are manufactured, if they take some of the regulations out or just kind of get some, some of the government red tape out of the way, I think that there's an opportunity here to ramp up production, produce more pharmaceuticals in Canada, and then sell them to the U.S. if they want to buy them. And if that helps people down in Florida gain access to affordable medications, why the heck not? Why take such a negative view of this when this could be a great opportunity? It could be a win-win. Be better for the public in, the, in Florida. Could be better for Canadians who would benefit from more employment, more tax revenue to the government because they could... Applied, there would be no doubt taxes applied to the production of these drugs along the way. But no, he's worried. He's thinking too much along the lines of centrally planned economy. It has to be a negative thing if it's coming from Florida and DeSantis, a conservative, a Republican, the United States, the evil empire. Well, I guess it would be the other way around, right? It was Reagan who called... Russia, the evil empire, the great Satan, I guess, <clears throat> the United States. I'd say embrace it, man. Just ramp up the production. If you're worried about production, produce more. How about that? 
and then you can put everyone's minds at ease. You know, today I went for a doctor's appointment at the walk-in clinic. And uh, there's only one in my town. And again, what uh, what a circus. What a terrible situation the healthcare system in Canada is in, especially in my province here of Ontario. One walk-in clinic, there was a lineup of people. Now, they're I booked in advance, so I didn't have to wait too long. They have a system set up there, but I had another conversation with uh, you know a couple of the nurses in there. And it's a terrible, it's a terrible state of affairs. 30% of the people in my town, 30%, a full, almost one third have no access to a family physician because of the doctor shortage in my town. And we are not like a small, small town. We're like a, a medium, a small city tucked in between two larger cities. We're, we're, we're in a, you know, a populous area here. We're in Southern Ontario, one hour from the Windsor Detroit border. It's not like we're in no man's land and a third of the population in this community has no access to a family physician. Zip. So they rely on this walk-in clinic budget was cut for the walk-in clinic and the walk-in clinic is only a telemedicine facility. So you go in, you don't actually see a doctor, you see a nurse and then the doctor comes on a screen, on a computer screen, webs, it's a Zoom meeting with a doctor in an office with a nurse present. And even that, they cut the funding for it. And so the other, all the other clinics, walk-in clinics in this town shut down because it, 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 what, there wasn't enough money. So now this place actually has to charge a $15 fee every time you go to see the doctor. So you think healthcare is free, my American friends in Canada? No, it's not. You don't want this. And then the health minister, all he sees is the negative side of everything when DeSantis wants to purchase drugs from Canada, ramp up the production, put people to work, take advantage of it. And it's a win-win. Boost the economy. Oh, no, it couldn't do that. Oh, he, all he can think of is there's only so much to go around. No, produce more. And then there will be plenty. Supply and demand. The demand is there. Ramp up production. And there's too much demand for doctors. We don't have enough. That's because if you go all the way back to the 1980s in this province, uh, the real problem started under a liberal government with David Peterson as the premier here who capped doctors' wages. He ran on that issue and demonized doctors, saying that health care costs were running out of control. So he capped doctors' wages. And what happened? A lot of doctors just left the country. A lot of them, a lot of the doctors here just left and went to the United States where they were wanted, their liberal socialist government of the day back then chased them out of the province. And we've never recovered from that. And it's only become worse over time. And now it's really coming to a head with all the immigration. It's really tragic. And so as I walked into the clinic today, the only clinic in town, there's a lineup of people waiting to get in just to make an appointment to see a nurse and then a doctor over a Zoom meeting. And each 
meeting is only 15 minutes in length and you only get you're only allowed to talk about one health issue at a time one so if you have two or two things wrong with you you can only talk about one thing and as i spoke to the nurses there you know it became very clear that a lot of the people walking in there are people who are falling through the cracks of the healthcare system, people with chronic illnesses, people who need ongoing care. You have people, you know, from all walks of life going in there, including the homeless, the, the most vulnerable, people with mental health issues. And I know that they've expanded the scope of conditions that they are willing to deal with at that walk-in clinic simply in response to the public need Issues, health care issues that really they are not properly set up to deal with, but they're doing their best to cope with it because the government has failed people so miserably on the health care front and it is literally falling apart. So it's the only place to go for a lot of people who have no access to a family doctor, but have serious ongoing chronic health issues who need ongoing care. They really need family doctors and they don't have them. And then I had an idea. And I'm not in a position to do this because I'm not an elected official. I have really no power to do this, but I have a solution. You see, the, uh, the reason that a lot of these other clinics had to shut down is not just because the funding was cut. It's also because, like, I could, if I was a doctor or if I wanted to, I could set up a clinic a private clinic and then run the clinic as a business using the government healthcare system, like access to it by installing doctors or having doctors participate in a telehealth medicine setting through the creation of a walk-in clinic. But the problem is you can't even find enough doctors to staff through zoom meetings during the day. These these walk-in clinics. So that's the other reason they shut down. There aren't enough doctors to even keep telehealth, telemedicine facilities open because these doctors that are coming online are mostly out of Toronto. Can't do it. But then I thought, why can't you do it internationally? Why not? Well, the answer to that is that you can't, a doctor can't write a prescription for a patient here unless they are licensed under the Ontario College of Physicians and Surgeons. So there are regulations in place to make sure that certain standards are met and you have to be a licensed medical doctor in this province in order to write prescriptions. But then I was thinking, so you know what we do? It's, and this is just an idea. Why can't you get some doctors in other countries up to a certain standard, get some regulations in place, other doctors in other countries who could deal with patients over, over a, a telemedicine setting? And if they can maybe write a test and meet a certain standard, you could have access to doctors all over the world to help patients right here in Canada. And there are a lot of great doctors. You've got a whole world full of doctors. 
who could interact with patients over the internet in exactly the same way that I had my meeting with a physician today out of Toronto. That doctor could just as easily be in London, England, or Dubai, any place in the world, the South Pole, in the tunnels, <laughs> in the Antarctic. Just a thought could solve a lot of problems. And these doctors wouldn't have to be, wouldn't have to move here, wouldn't have to be recruited. And that same scenario could actually help people in third world countries too. Telemedicine, man. And the level of care is really not that bad, especially if you have a nurse present at the time. But the issue is the writing of the prescription. So you find a way around that and you've got a solution to your doctor shortage and the rationing of healthcare here in Canada and maybe in other countries as well. But you got to start thinking outside the box to come up with these solutions. And, you know, as I went over to the pharmacy after my doctor's appointment, I was walking in and what did I see out in front of the pharmacy today? A homeless person, a man, freezing, freezing with a shopping cart and a piece of cardboard, homeless, please help, hanging on the shopping cart, the, the cardboard scribbled on it in my town, my small, my small community, my small city, 50,000 people, city proper, 100,000 people extended with the rural area, farmland surrounding us. When I moved here, never saw anything like that ever. Now it's all over the place. So I walk into the pharmacy and here's this poor soul out there in the frigid, frigid cold today. Unacceptable. He was leaning up against the wall just trying to hold on, hang on in my town. The town of Mayor Darren Caniff, who voted in favor of buying a broken down old Sears that is vacant to move the city hall a few blocks east from a building which appears to be in good repair, nothing wrong with it, where they will have to lease rent parking from the rich guys who own the shopping mall to which the Sears is attached. Three million for that, which is the tip of the iceberg. Renovations to follow. Total cost, who the heck knows? many more millions for that but nothing for the poor soul freezing to death in front of the pharmacy in my small town it's becoming a cliche in 2024 in Trudeau's Canada and in my town 
Darren Caniff's town. The mayor who locked us all down and masked us all up and doesn't seem to give a damn about the poor soul freezing in front of the shopper's drug mart. But hey, the city found three million last night for a shithole. Unacceptable. It's not too late. There's a buyback option. I sure hope common sense prevails and the counselors find it in their souls and in their common sense to exercise that buyback option so that the city and the taxpayers aren't stuck with a giant, another giant white elephant, which again is becoming a cliche across this country where the rich get richer and the poor freeze in the dark. Love you guys. See y'all back here tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we will continue fighting for freedom on the flip side. This has been a Maverick Multimedia Productions.